0: Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review, and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. And I'll sort of
1: lead you through the verses that we want to read. In 1 Kings chapter 3, the third verse, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and burned incense in high places. And over to the ninth verse, 9 through 13 of the same chapter, chapter 3, 9, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this by, uh, by so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment, Behold, I have done according to thy words. Though I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither have after thee shall any rise like unto thee. I write over to chapter ten or chapter eight, rather. Over to chapter eight. Just two verses. Verses 22 and 23 of chapter 8. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath who keepest covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all thine heart. And then over to chapter 10. Also two verses, verses 23 and 24. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put in his heart. Now that brings us to the 11th chapter. And the first word in the 11th chapter then becomes very important. You perhaps have noticed the trend in the life of Solomon up to this point. And we'll comment on that in a moment. And verse 11 then begins with the word, but. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites and Ammonites and Edomites and uh, Zidonites and Hittites of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonites, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the uh, abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commended him commanded him, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, Forasmuch as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant. The Lord looked on Solomon Very favorably. So favorably that he in essence said to Solomon, I appreciate you so much that you just ask what you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon humbly said, the only thing I really would like is to be wise enough to be able to judge because I am responsible for judging all of these people, and it takes a wise man to make this kind of judgment. And the Lord was very pleased with the response that Solomon had made, and he said, because of that, not only will I give you the wisdom that you ask, but I will give you other things as well, riches, glory. Solomon became the great man that we have come to know him as, What would you have asked for? The Lord said to you, you just ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Some of us would be quite short-sighted and perhaps we would ask for money. Or we would ask for fame. We would ask for an easy life or many other things. It might very well be that few of us would ask for wisdom. But this he asked for and got everything else as a consequence now leave that in that little setting for just a moment and let's go to the word compromise and discuss it a little bit and then we'll come back to this 11th chapter what is compromise because that's the subject that we're talking about this evening the cost of compromise someone has define the compromise as a partial surrender of something valuable now listen to the the words of it compromise is a partial surrender of something valuable not a complete surrender but a partial surrender compromise is that which one does that that puts himself in a position that he then cannot deal with the issue as honorably as he ought to deal. I remember a time uh, in my pastorate, this is somewhat amusing, but really it isn't amusing either when you think of the consequences of it, when one of the deacons in the church had had done something that uh, a lot of people didn't like, and they decided that they could not have him as a deacon as a consequence so they called a church meeting to discuss it and uh, he, they were discussing it and the deacon's wife stood up and he said if you do anything with him I'll stand up and tell enough on all, all of you that all of you will have to be dealt with and the subject was immediately dropped I was glad that I was gone from the church I had uh, left the that pastor shortly before uh, I don't know what they would have done. The point is nearly everyone was compromised to a point that they couldn't say or or do anything. This becomes a real problem of life. There is many a young girl who compromises herself and her purity. There is many a person who compromises his honesty or his integrity or whatever other issue that we might use as an illustration. Satan is a master of compromise. Satan is not interested in gaining the whole ball of wax. He just wants a little piece of it. Because he knows that in doing so, he can weaken a person's testimony or he can weaken an an individual's life to the place that uh, he will not be that which otherwise he might be. This is exactly what Russia does. Russia did not want all of Berlin, just half. Russia wasn't interested in uh, North and South Korea being overcome by North Korea. They just wanted to divide it, just get a part of it. The same thing with Vietnam, and on and on we could go. This is what he did in the Garden of Eden when he dealt with Adam and Eve And Eve said to him, Now we're not supposed to eat of that particular tree. And he began to ask questions about it and cast doubts into Eve's mind until he finally had gotten her to simply take one bite. And she had compromised her whole position. Well, God gave Solomon wisdom. He started out so high and he fell so low in his life. The first thing that happens when a person gets into a compromising position, and let me give you this sort of progression, at least is the way I see it. The first thing that we did as kids, and I can remember doing it, and I'm sure you can too, when we were told that it was was bad to do some things, and I'll just pick out an illustration, let's say drink. I, I never did get involved in that, but let's use it. My dad would ask me, when when I said, can I go so-and-so, and the first thing he would ask me, who's going? And I would have to give him a list of who was going, and then he would say yes, or he would say no. And I can remember that he frequently said firmly, no, you may not go. And I always wondered why, and then I figured it out. Because I was going to be associating with someone that he did not want me associating with this becomes the first big problem that we face in life when we go toward that point of compromising is to first of all just associate with someone or something that might taint our position and admiration The second thing that we do is begin to establish a friendship or a relationship with those very people or with that particular problem. Uh, we, We go to the homes of people who we know, and going back to using the alcohol, people would go to a home of someone who is known to going to throw a good party and have lots to drink. The individual says, and teenagers will say this to parents all the time, I'm not going to participate, those are just my friends, and I want to be a part of it. The second step is to establish a relationship, although one does not intend to participate. But there, the temptation gets great, and someone says, oh, just try one drink. Remember, I'm using this as illustration only. We could use any other subject that we wanted. The second, or the third thing or that that, gets in, that we get involved in is a, an involvement we go from association to our relationship to our real involvement when we begin to participate in some function that is contrary to what the Lord would want or what our parents would want or what have you. And then the last step is a person becomes possessed by that. Every alcoholic, and remember we're following this through only for illustration purposes, every alcoholic most likely began by association, by relationship, by involvement, and then by possession. And if that chain is not broken somewhere along the line, then one has brought himself from the high pinnacle of possibilities to the low position of distress, such as we will see in the life of Solomon. Okay, this is sort of the, of, of the direction from, from which we're coming, and we want to, to go into the life of Solomon. Now then, We look at the 11th chapter here of 1 Kings, and we see something about Solomon, who began with God in in a very uh, good relationship, but he did something that he was not supposed to do. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, they were told that when they went in to conquer a country, that they were not to intermarry with the people of that country. They were not to marry women who were of pagan faith. They were to keep themselves within their faith. This is something that that becomes very very difficult in our society today. It certainly was a problem that Solomon had when he conquered a country. He began to look around, and as as a strong, virile human being, he saw some beautiful women and he fell in love with them and he started marrying them one after another until he ended up being married to 700 women Anybody's that died, I don't think he was too wise myself I don't know what you think but he ended up being married to 700 and besides that he had all these other women the greatest drive that a person has in his life is for self-survival the second greatest is his sexual desires. I don't think that that can be disputed. As a general rule, this becomes the the problem that people face in their lives as to keeping themselves unspotted through their sexual life. It is very difficult in today's society to find a young couple that have not already experienced uh, sexual affairs before they're married. Very few preachers ever marry very many people that uh, before they run into those that, that already are experienced in that manner. In our high schools, and I used to teach in high school, and I know it was true there, and I had, I had uh, some classes dealing with this very subject, and I was high school counselor for, for a while to discover amongst that group that most of them were sexually active. Most. Not a few, but most in today's society are are already active as far as those affairs are concerned. This was the case of Solomon, whose good wisdom was overridden by a physical desire that he had difficulty in controlling. This is what we see in the first verse he loved many strange women got himself involved in their lives and finally ended up marrying them i don't think there's very many of us in this congregation who but what would have to admit that this is a a real problem that faces most people as to how to control this aspect of our life all right Look at the second verse. He knew it was wrong. He had the the commandments of God, but he did not obey them. In the second verse, in the very last phrase, he says, And Solomon clave unto these in love. He would not give them up. He loved them. He held fast to them. Some translations, you will find it that way when it says that he held fast to them in love. All right, the selection of a mate is oft times based on the very things that Solomon used when he selected these women to marry. It was a physical thing. Most people today Mary, because the man is a hunk and the woman is beautiful for more than any other reason and if you'll think back in your own life you will have to admit that those very uh, issues were present in your life it may not have been the dominant one and, and hopefully it was not but it certainly was in Solomon's life and it is the problem that we face today And that's a lot of the reason that we have the many marital problems that that we have in our society. We may not wish them to be, but those are the facts of life that that we certainly do have them. All right, let's go down to verse 4. I've already made mention of the fact in verse 3 of how many wives he had. In verse 4, notice that it says, And it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. Many a girl has said, I'm going to change him once I marry him. And how many times have you got that accomplished, ladies? It just doesn't happen very often. What happened? They turned his heart away from other gods. Now let me make this statement. We cannot in our society avoid, nor should we avoid, contact with non-Christian people. I would not advocate that. I don't believe the scripture teaches it. We certainly must associate and fellowship and be around and work with people who are not Christian. But when it comes to establishing close relationships, of close friendships, or and certainly in marriage, these issues need to be considered strongly considered to make sure that the relationship that we are establishing is based upon on a common ground and without that we're going to find ourselves in some difficulty these women were stronger in their faith than Solomon and they turned his heart away to other gods you look at any couple if one of them is a non-christian most of the time, the non-Christian does not become a Christian, even in that relationship. And very frequently, the Christian will leave the church and not be a part of it for a long period of time, if at all. That doesn't always happen, and fortunately there are some indications to the, to the contrary. But generally speaking, the Lord knows that the influences of the world sometimes are so great upon a person that he cannot in his own strength overcome those difficulties besides they ganged up on him 700 to one is not too good of odds not very good odds all right look at verse five for solomon went after now i want you to notice in verse four he said they simply turned his heart away in verse five there is more interest these pagan gods he went after them Ashtoreth the goddess of the the Zidonians and after Milcom the abomination of the Ammonites these were pagan gods he now is progressive he is pursuing their type of worship he begins to pursue them and down in verse 7 and then Solomon built a high place What was he doing? He built a church for the worship of these pagan gods. This is the beginning of the downfall of Solomon when he began to pay attention to the gods that his wives worshipped and away from his own God. We don't find anywhere in this passage of Scripture that the Lord objects to his being married 700 times. We find the Lord's objection to his following after their gods. This is the objection that he makes. Alright. Verse 9, we began to see the collapse. He builds the, the uh, uh, temple, the churches in verse 7 for these pagan gods. And in verse 9, then we began to see God's attitude in the first phrase, and the Lord was angry with Solomon. Because his heart was turned from the Lord of Israel, from the Lord God of Israel. And he had commanded him, in verse 10, he had commanded him that he should not go after those gods. Why is the church not effective? Why are we as Christian people not as effective as we ought to be? We probably would find that somewhere along the line that we have brought ourselves to a position of compromise and it is extremely difficult to get over until we have overcome that and gotten ourselves straight with the Lord that we will have difficulty with our position in trying to to be the church or to be the servant that we ought to be. Solomon did not overcome his problem. He did not return to the Lord. Solomon stayed with his pagan worship. Had Solomon repented and recanted, we find throughout the scripture, where there would have been a different relationship. But Solomon is one that did not do this. So what does God do? In verse 14, And the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon. The adversary that he stirred up was Hadad, a common Jewish name that we even know in today's society. He was an Edomite, going all the way back to Edom. This group of people fought against Israel until finally they had overcome Israel. That wasn't enough. Over in the 23rd verse, God stirred up another adversary, Rezan, the son of Eladah. Don't make any difference who he is. The point is, here is the second adversary coming. The point that I want to make here is, sin has its payday. Compromise has its payday. Personal sin has its far-reaching effects in anybody's life. We cannot escape it. It would be better had we never compromised and allowed the door to even open a crack. But our, the facts would remain that we, being human, are going to oft times do the very things that Solomon did, or other things, or like Eve did, or we can name many other people in the Scripture. Who did these very same things now the problem is that the effects of sin are so far-reaching it is not sufficient for us to say i can do this if i want and if i'm hurt i'm hurt it's my own business because it does not stop there it has its far-reaching effects the sin of solomon Caused this nation to be destroyed by these adversaries that we now have mentioned, and Israel did not become a nation again until 1948. I did a quick calculation. It's approximately 2,900 years the effect of Solomon's sin lasted upon Israel. 2,900 years. A collapse of their spiritual life a collapse of their moral life because they had allowed or one person had allowed compromise to to seep into his life now it is not the problem as i see it well let me let me rephrase it it is a problem for us to keep compromise out of our lives however when we have compromised, then we have, uh, we have to look at it in a different light. And we must bring ourselves to the position where we deal with our problem and our relationship to the Lord and get that out of the way and overcome our difficulties and get our sins forgiven and get on a new foundation, a, a new footing, where we can be of service to the Lord. This Solomon didn't do. This becomes his great sin. I am convinced that the greatest mission field in the world is inside the church. Billy Graham makes this statement. In the church. Amongst the people who are Christian already. You see, we do not lose our uh, faith, our belief in God. We don't lose our salvation because of our sin. We may be set back and not be as effective as we ought to be because of our sin, but we don't lose our salvation because of our sin. Our problem is to recognize our situation and get it corrected and go on from there. And this, so many times, we don't do. And that's why I believe on any Sunday, morning or night, when an invitation is extended, There ought to be more people who are members of the church making a response to the invitation to get their lives right with God than there will be non-Christian people responding because the non-Christians are here. It's we who are Christian who need to be regenerated and revived and set our feet again upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ and go on from there. And the Lord will forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us of our unrighteousness and our compromises and all of those things and still use us for his glory if we simply will allow him into our lives anew and afresh. And this was the problem that Solomon had. He didn't do it. And I think this is the problem that that we have today uh, that, that causes us problems within the church. When uh, Brother Fox mentioned this morning about all of those thousands of people who are saved on the mission fields by our missionaries, uh, it figures out to over 200 people a year that respond to the call of Jesus Christ because of the lives of, uh, and the ministry of our missionaries. In, a, in our church, uh, I go down the rolls of the West Virginia Baptist Convention churches frequently just to keep up And look at the numbers of baptisms they're very very small the numbers of baptisms that our churches with our many thousands of members went to christ and why is it maybe we have not brought ourselves back to a renewed relationship to jesus christ and this we need to do shall we pray Our Father, we stand before you and sit before you this evening, not as faithful as we ought to be, but oftentimes like Solomon, who have taken your word, perhaps have not.
0: in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.